Chelsea Community Church, along with City Temple. If you'd like to be part of the whole thing online, drop us an email, or better yet, come and visit us in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here at Chelsea Community Church. If you have your Bible, we're going to go to two places, Psalm 137 and then Revelation chapter 5. Psalm 137, Revelation chapter 5. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the Bible. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I thank you that it represents your word to your people. And I pray, Father, that you'd speak to us today through the words of Scripture, through the words that you give me, to bring glory and honor to Jesus and to help form us as your people. We love you and we praise you. We worship and adore you. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a psalm of the exile. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Oh, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Oh, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem. How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to the foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. And then to Revelation chapter 5. John is with the angel in the heavenly places and he sees this revelation. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Oh, don't let Babylon take away the music. 
Don't let Babylon corrupt you with music. Have you listened to it? It's on, it was on the link, you know. It's good, good reggae song. Don't let Babylon take away the music. When I started this series, I decided to put together a Spotify playlist. And I went and tried to look up every song about Babylon. And a lot of them I discarded. But there's a couple of reggae songs I've sent you links to uh, in the emails. Uh, they're really good to listen as a backdrop, you know. If you decide to rewatch the sermon, you can put that on in the background while you're listening to it again. You know, you can see me kind of moving to the beat a little bit. Uh, and it just, I, you know, that song just pops out spontaneously. Uh, I'm, you know, just walking down the street. Don't let Babylon take away the music. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, really sticks with you. The challenge is that in many respects, Babylon has already taken away the music. Babylon has actually invaded Christian music. For quite a number of years now, there's been an increase in the attempt to monetize worship by charging an admission fee to go to a worship concert. And sometimes you can even buy VIP seating and pay a little bit extra money. Now it used to be, now Christian bands have had concerts for, for cent centuries, not centuries, but definitely for decades. You know, you've had Christian bands who have gone to play, but there's always been a clear distinction between bands that were playing, you know, for entertainment, uh, and edification and bands that are playing for worship. But over the last 20, 30 years, those distinctions, those uh, boundary lines have blurred somewhat. Uh, but that's not the only thing that's happening. Universal Music Group right now, uh, that's the company that controls uh, Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, and quite a number of others. Uh, Universal Music Group now claims that it has a 60% share of the top 10 songs used in worship today. It gets royalties for those. Uh, in fact, the song Lion and the Lamb, which is a song I love to sing, we've sung it here many times, uh, but Lion and the Lamb was part of a package of royalties, and it was the largest part of the package, a package of royalties that just sold for $900,000. And the investor who bought him expects to make a 15-fold increase on his investment. You know, quite, quite extraordinary. Very subtly, what's happened is that financial interests have become more important in some respects than even theological interests in determining what churches sing. Now, to say that, I'm not trying to criticize all worship leaders and everybody that writes Christian songs today, there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of good music that's out there. So this is not a blanket criticism. This is just a statement that there is a subtle influence behind what churches are singing on a Sunday, not only in the United Kingdom, but around the globe, that in part comes not because that, that somebody has said, oh, this song is great, and the body of Christ needs to sing it, it's because someone says, this song is great, it's got a catchy tune, and people are going to pay a lot of royalties to play this in their church. Since 2017, 100% of the top worship songs, the top 25 worship songs, have been promoted heavily as hit singles according to standard music formulas. In other words, 100% of the top songs that we're singing are being sung, in part at least, because they were heavily promoted as songs that the industry wanted churches to sing. Now, let me give a contrast to that. Back in the 1990s, uh, Vineyard Music, uh, it was publishing uh, one CD uh, every three months, a quarterly subscription service, and, uh, and that's to get new music out to churches. And, uh, and their rule at that time was to, cons to be considered, a, you needed to use the song in your local house group for at least six months. 
And then your local church needed to use the song for at least a year. And after that, they would consider putting a song on a CD for the church widely to sing. Uh, you can contrast that with hymnals and songbooks. And I certainly don't want to go back to hymnals and songbooks, by the way. But hymnals and songbooks historically were carefully curated so that in your average hymnal, you had a, a quite a broad range of music covering a lot of different topics. Uh, musicality was one of the criteria, but theology uh, and uh, their depth and, and the like was also a big criteria. Now today, it used to be that if I had a script, of, uh, if I received the latest from Integrity Music and from Vineyard Music, uh, I would hear most of the good music that was coming out. And there would be a few other things coming along. Now, every year, and this has been true for the last five or six years, uh, I have been listening to more than a thousand new worship songs a year. And I, you know, I just, I, I really stuffed my mind with a lot. Uh, and, uh, and I can't, uh, partially because of my voice, we don't sing as many new ones as we used to. But uh, before, and my goal is, my, my rule is, if the song seems good, theologically good and solid, then I will listen to it and pray about it for at least six months before I consider adding it. And if it still has that sense of, wow, this is a good song, after six months, then I know something's going on here. This is a good thing. Uh, and then I'll consider putting it on our list, although even then sometimes it takes me a little bit longer to, to get that done. Uh, Babylon's invasion of Christian music is so important because singing and music is a key part of our worship. Music is sung theology. It reflects what we believe. And if it doesn't reflect what you believe now, it will if you keep singing it. The songs you sing shape your mind and your mindset. Music shapes our beliefs. And also music sense, shapes our sense of community and does so quite powerfully. Uh, and because of this, it's the Bible, the community, the church leaders and the musicians that should determine our songs as led by God, not a secular music group trying to gain market share. But that's a challenge. Babylon has invaded, has invaded our worship. Don't let Babylon take away the music. It's there, it's there. It just, it just follows, and you can't help move a little bit. You know, even as you get older, you gotta move a little bit uh, on that. And you know, there's one thing that God said a few months ago for us living in Babylon. You know, he said, we need new songs and old worship, simple and pure. So there's nothing wrong with new songs. And we want new songs and we want people to keep writing songs. Uh, I was talking to the Lord about that a, a couple of years ago, actually now, and just kind of complaining about the poor quality of some of the songs and things, you know, as you do, uh, in your slightly self-righteous way. And the Lord said, well, Rod, I like the songs that are being written. You know, so it's not, we're not opposed to the new songs, but we cannot allow Babylon to take over our worship. And it's a real danger because now, as we've been saying, we live in Babylon, not Israel. And remember, Israel is a society that favors authentic Christian beliefs, values, and perspectives, and expects others to do so as well. So if you go back 50 or 60 years in, in the UK or in the US, you would expect business people to be honest, to tell the truth. If you shake hands on a deal, that was as good as signing a contract because it was something important and it reflected our Christian values. It reflected the values that we had as a society, but we don't live in that society anymore. Now we live in Babylon and Babylon is a society that rejects 
authentic Christian beliefs, values, and perspectives, and then expects others to submit to Babylon's alternatives to these. You see, Babylon has alternatives to all of our beliefs, uh, our values, and our perspectives, and Babylon insists that we submit to those and that everybody else submits to those. And we need to understand this Babylon society is attractive and seductive. That's why so many people fall for it, why so many people fall into it. This Babylon society is demonically inspired and energized. That's why there's such an increase in wickedness around us. And this Babylon society operates out of what we might call an empire spirit, which means it seeks to subvert and control everybody in the society. And we're living in that kind of society. The problem is that the control and the subversion is very subtle. And we often don't see it. We often don't pick it up. But if you watch any degree of television, you can see how morality has shifted in television. And now, you know, 20 years ago, it used to be that it was kind of unusual for a couple to have sex outside of marriage. Now it's unusual for a couple not to have sex outside of marriage. It's a shift in our society and our values. And living in Babylon is a dilemma for us as Christians. You know, a dilemma is something you can't solve. You just have to work through it. And so a great way to learn how to deal with dilemmas is to learn how to ask the right questions, particularly questions that are raised by the Bible. And one question, the question we saw in the text today, could probably be the central question of the entire Bible. One way to look at the entirety of the Bible is to answer the question asked in Psalm 137. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? In a sense, the whole thing is helping us to address that dilemma. How do we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? As I mentioned, Psalm 137 was a psalm written during the exile. Uh, you can actually see uh, some things in the British Museum. You can see the, the Hebrew captives being led with their lyres. You know, the, uh, uh, it, it's, in the, it's in the British Museum. It's really cool. If you've never seen it, you should go seek it out. Uh, and in many respects, you know, the situation of the Jews, the Hebrews then, was very much like our situation. At that stage, they had lost Israel as the location for their worship and the temple as the center of their worship. They no longer had the temple. It was destroyed. Uh, and they could no longer worship God in Israel. So what are we going to do? And in a sense, we too have lost Israel, a society that favors Christian uh, beliefs and values. And we're also in a, in a time where the church no longer has any kind of influence in our society generally. They were, the Jews were surrounded by a hostile society instead of a hospitable society. <laughs> Excuse me. And our society has now become hostile or at least apathetic to authentic Christian beliefs and values. <clears throat> As I mentioned, living together before marriage, we see that. Uh, even though, by the way, that study after study have demonstrated that if you live together before marriage, you're much more likely to get a divorce. Living together and having sex, being sexually active before marriage is not healthy for your future relationship. And study after study has shown that, but that's not the values that Babylon is going to push. Now, and their host society had ideas and had practices that were opposed to God. And of course, our society, and right now that would include many churches and denominations within the society, have embraced, 
had, our society has embraced ideas and ideologies opposed to God. In fact, this whole month is about pride. And what does the Bible say about pride? It says pride is a sin. And you need humility. And yet we're promoting pride in our culture. And if you don't, woe, woe to you, you could be attacked. And their society was interested in their music, but their society was not interested in their God. In our society too, it likes some of the things that we do. It just, it wants the things we do in its way. Uh, I just was reading this past week about a foster mother that almost lost her foster children because she dared question the sexuality teaching going on in her school. Now, that's the kind of environment that we live in, and that's the kind of environment that the, the exiled Jews were living in. And so in the exile, they wrestled with a central question. All the Jews would have wrestled with this question because this psalm was meant to be sung. All the Jews would have wrestled with this question, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They wanted to go back to Jerusalem. They didn't want to go forward. They didn't want to wrestle with that question. They were longing to go back, and they said, that's what we want. But for us as Christians, we cannot be like that. We must be looking forward to the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Israel that God is going to bring about. And that's what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Singing the Lord's song is an issue of worship, not just an issue of music. It's an issue of worship. How do we worship when we no longer have a temple and no longer have a nation? That's what they were struggling with. And that's the same question for us. How do we worship the Lord in Babylon? And we need to understand, worship is the central question of our existence as human beings. Who do you worship? It's a foundational issue because everybody worships something or someone. Even atheists worship. Everybody worships. The question is, who or what are you going to worship? Are you going to worship God or your children? Are you going to worship God or your spouse? Are you going to worship God or your government? Are you going to worship God or your science? Are you going to worship God or your certainty in the evolutionary processes guiding humanity, and on and on and on and on. Worship is the central question. And generally speaking, worship is showing reverence, adoration, and honor for something or someone that you perceive to be greater than yourself. What worship is? Who do you worship? The exiled Jews knew that they could not simply accept their situation. So they prayed. They prayed. And actually, their prayer is a bit uncomfortable. Blessed is he who takes your children and throws them on the rocks. I'm not advocating that we necessarily pray that way, uh, in, in that kind of, but there's something similar that we can pray. When they prayed that, I don't think any of them wanted actually the children to be thrown on the rocks. And I'm not sure that they would have done it if they'd had the opportunity. What they were doing was expressing the depth of their anger and their woundedness without recognizing that most of it was self-inflicted because of their own disobedience. But for us, the children of Babylon are the ideas, practices, and perspectives that Babylon gives birth to in people's hearts and minds, in our culture, our society. And from that perspective, I think, yes, that these things need to be dashed on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, and totally destroyed. And that's what we need to pray into. But we still need to wrestle with this question, how shall we sing the Lord's song in our foreign land, in our Babylon? 
How can we worship God in spirit and in truth, like Jesus says in the Gospel of John, how can we worship God in spirit and in truth while we're living in Babylon? I'd like to suggest a couple of things. First, we must worship as Christians. Now, frankly, there's a lot of worship that I see going on in churches, and I'll use that in, in commas, in uh, quotation marks, uh, that I'm not sure is worship. And if it is, it's not worshiping God. Certainly not the God of the Bible. There's a lot of things. I've listened to some contemporary songs that sounded more like the song you'd sing to your lover on the dance floor than it sounds like a song that you'd sing to God. Uh, so how do we worship the Lord? We start by worshiping as Christians. We worship as Christians. Now, Christian worship, yeah, it falls under the general rubric I told you about worship, but here's my definition of Christian worship. Christian worship is actively and joyfully surrendering our lives to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit as guided by the Scriptures. Let me say that again. Uh, it's actively and joyfully surrendering our lives to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit as guided by the Scriptures. The heart of worship in the Bible is surrender. The heart. The word, say, for thanksgiving. The, the word for thanksgiving literally means to do this. To throw up your thanks in openness to the one you're giving thanks for. Why do we raise our hands in worship? If I came to you with a gun and said, stick them up, oh, oh that's a sign of surrender. I get that. Uh, that's, a, that's a sign of surrender. Why do we stand in worship? Here's a good one. Why do we stand in worship? And why don't we kneel in worship? Because standing is the position of a son before his father. It's a position of respect for the father and honor for the father. And you're honored to be able to stand in the presence of the king as opposed to kneel in the presence of the king. No, so all of this is about surrendering our lives to God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit. And worship involves the whole being. Worship involves our spirit. Worship involves our mind, will, and emotions, what we call the soul. Worship involves our bodies. And worship involves our relationships. Why do we have children in worship? Why don't we care if they make noise and they wander around? I love it. Because it's about relationship. We are relating to God together. And let me tell you, God loves our little children as much and more so than we do. And he wants them. And if we just won't give him the praise he deserves, he'll certainly open up their mouths to get the praise. Oh, it's... Worship is so much more than music and rituals. It also involves our resources, our time, our energy. The expense of traveling to gather with other Christians. All of these things are part of our worship as an act of surrender to the Lord. And to worship as Christians, we also have to understand that Christian worship is always corporate. You are never worshiping alone, even if you are alone. Worship is not individualistic, even though it involves individuals making the decision to worship God. You always worship as part of the body of Christ. You always worship as part of the universal church of Jesus Christ, including those who have gone before us. We, when we worship here on a Sunday morning at Chelsea Community Church, we are worshiping together with every single saint that ever worshiped in Chelsea Community Church throughout its history up until the present. And the same is true for City Temple. It's always corporate. Christian worship also 
is always a dialogue between God and his people. In preparation, I, I just was reading a, a brand new book on the, the early three centuries of Christian worship. And the most startling thing that I found was from the beginning, Christian worship always involved preaching. I thought maybe, you know, that had developed over time. But it was always about preaching and it always involved communion, the Lord's Supper. Preaching and communion were at the heart along with the prayer of the people. Uh, and why do we have preaching? Why do we have preaching? No, when I'm, when I'm here preaching, it's not just teaching. Although there's a teaching element to it. Uh, there's always a prophetic element to it. In fact, in the early days of City Temple, they called what we call preaching, they call prophesying, which is the application under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of the word of God to the present situation of the people. It's always prophetic. So every time I prepare a sermon, I prepare the sermon with the idea that the good things, the right things I say, are really, literally, the word of God to God's people. And that always gives me a sense of awe and respect for preaching. There's never a time when it's not, although in most churches today, they've completely lost that idea. So we're in a dialogue with God. Whenever we gather for worship, we're listening and responding to the sermon as an essential act of worship. You know, so you don't often think about that. You know, most people think I'm being passive. No, the fact that you're actively listening is an act of surrender of worship to the Lord. That's Christian worship. Listening to God and praying God's prayers is an essential act of Christian worship. When we pray together, you know, we're not just saying, oh God, you know, bless mama, bless daddy, bless, bless uh, Rishi, uh, let's bless oh, uh, my aunts and uncles, and oh, and my kids, and oh, the teacher that I had back in third grade. You know, that's not prayer. That's filling time. When we pray, the goal is, God, what do you want me to pray? How do you want me to pray? Why do we pray every time we gather publicly for Ukraine? Because God spoke over a year ago and said, every time you gather publicly, I want you to pray for Ukraine until the war is over. And we're going to keep doing it because that's what God said. And God wants to do that. Uh, and that's, that's why it's a dialogue. And we have to understand that Christian worship is always guided by the Bible. The Bible sets the standards for Christian worship. Now it's funny, you know, because sometimes some people take a lot of comfort in that who are from very traditional churches, but they never read, you know, things like how David danced before the Lord. Uh, so if they did, they probably wouldn't be quite as comfortable. Uh, you know, and then there's a lot of other people who say, well, I just want to be led by the Spirit. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to do something contrary to the Bible. So you need to plan, you need to think. And I know that some people are like, well, I'm just going to show up and be led by the Spirit. Well, that's laziness. You know, because quite frankly, the Holy Spirit knows what he wants to do next Sunday today. And if I take a little bit of time and ask him, he would tell me. Now, sometimes he does it because he wants to keep me on my toes. But he's God, I'm not, and so he can do that. So Christian worship is always guided by the Bible. So the first thing, if we're going to worship in Babylon, we need to understand we're worshiping as Christians. We're worshiping as an act of surrender together because this worship is forming us and shaping us as God's people together in this place in connection with God's people everywhere else where people are worshiping, irregardless of the style of worship, irregardless of some of the content of worship, we're part of a vast group of people worshiping the Lord right now in this very moment. So we have to worship as Christians. The second thing, if we're going to worship in Babylon, we need to worship on earth as those joined with the worship going on in heaven. We worship on earth 
joined with the worship that's going on in heaven right now. Uh, John wrote the book of Revelation. It was inspired, given to him to address people who were going through an extreme amount of persecution. These people were in a hostile society with many people that wanted them dead. They were getting kicked out of the synagogues by this time. They were experiencing some persecution. They were wondering, we thought Jesus was going to come again right away. Why does it seem like things are so hard? Because we thought if we're going to be God's people and follow him, that things should get better, not worse. You know, what's going on here? What's happening? And so God gave John the book of Revelation. Uh, and Revelation calls people's attention, it called their attention, one to the state of their churches, not all of which were in good nick, also to what was happening in the heavenlies, and then finally to what was going to happen at the end. In other words, we're going to win. In fact, I've said for years that if you want to know how to understand Revelation, you need to know three words. Worship, we win. And they all start with W. Now there's some more nuances there. But if you know worship and we win, and you read Revelation with that in mind, you'll get it. And so we need to understand that as we worship on earth, that we are connected with the worship that is going on in the heavenlies. And that's precisely why God revealed chapters 4 and 5 to John. To show him what was happening in the heavenly places, to show all the Christians what was happening in the heavenly places, to show him that God's on the throne, he's not threatened, he's not jeopardized, he's not challenged by what was happening on earth, that God knew what was happening, but God still was in control. And he was enjoining us to worship him, God, as the angels and the heavenly hosts and the saints that had gone before us were worshiping the Lord. So worship on earth unites us with the worship in the heavenlies. And we always need to see our worship from a heavenly perspective. We might see a group of 60, 70 people, but actually... We are joined here with countless angels. They're joining our worship. They're singing along with us. If you ask the Lord, sometimes he'll give you a glimpse of the angels that worship with us, that join with us, or make you conscious of that. But whenever we're worshiping on earth, we're being united with the worship that is ongoing continuously in the heavenly places. Also, the worship that we're doing here on earth is uniting us with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is the only one who is worthy to open the scrolls. That means that Jesus is in charge of history. Jesus is in charge of how it all plays out. Jesus is the Lord of it all. And no matter what's happening here on this planet, Jesus is Lord. And he's opening the scrolls, and history will unfold to the ends that have already been determined, no matter what. And we worship knowing that Jesus is the Lord of history who oversees our destiny. When you worship, when you gather with God's people, engage in Christian worship, you're acknowledging, hey, Jesus is in control of my life. He's in charge of my destiny. He's in charge of the unfolding. And I don't have to be afraid. And I don't have to be worried. And I don't have to be concerned. Second thing, worship on earth unites us with our present reality as well as our future destiny as a kingdom and priest to our God. Jesus shed his blood ransomed us from every tribe and tongue and people and nation so that we would be priests and a kingdom unto God. That means that we are the living expression of God's loving rulership right now in the earth. 
and we're connected with God's rulership in the heavenly places. That means right now that we exist to represent God to the people and represent the people to God as his priests. That means that God has set us apart to offer this worship that is precious and sacred to him. And all of these things are true of us right now. And when we worship on earth, it unites us with this present reality, which is also our future destiny. Worship on earth unites us with all the people of God who shall reign on the earth. We're united with the global body of Christ. We're united with all the Christians that have ever come before and that ever will come. We're united with myriads and myriads and myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels. I don't know about you, but a myriad is a lot. We're united with that reality right now. And what we're doing right now, it's a part of us. We're a part of it. And part of the way that we reign on the earth is through our worship. Because when we worship God, as the collect people of God, we're declaring our allegiance to one Lord Jesus Christ, one God and Father, one Holy Spirit, not any other God. We're rejecting every other God, and we're rejecting the gods of Babylon. And we're saying, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord and the Lord alone. And that is a demonstration of God's rulership. And that is something that the enemy absolutely hates. But that is our reality. We reign on earth in part through our worship. And we reign on earth in part through our prayers, praying the prayers that God prays. God's people are engaged in this conflict in Ukraine through prayer, just like many others are as well. Just like many others are as well. Hello. <laughs> and worship on earth unites us with God's present activity in the world through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, when we're worshiping the Lord here, we're being united with God's ruling activity, his kingdom activity going on in the world around us right now. God is advancing his kingdom, and we're part of it through worship. And I tell you again, I love the children. I love it. Uh, even when they make noise. And if you don't love it, well, there's a lot of quiet churches in London. I'll take the noise. I'll take the noise. God's advancing his kingdom. God is filling us with his spirit. That's why we sing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filling us with his Holy Spirit to send us into the world by that same spirit. And as we worship the Lord in this place, Jesus Christ, who has conquered the principalities and powers and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that same Jesus Christ, through our worship, is continuing to overcome the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When we worship, we don't have to address demons. Because when we worship, it is inherently an act of spiritual warfare. And demons cannot stand in the presence of God's people worshiping God because they are linked with the heavenly places. And in their linking with the heavenly places, we declare that the Jesus who is worthy to open the scrolls is the same Jesus that is going to bring an end to all the spiritual forces of evil and cast them into outer darkness for all eternity. And that's our reality. By Jesus' blood shed on the cross, he has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The battle we're in right now, the battle for our world, the battle for your children is a battle for worship. Who are we going to worship? And we have the confidence that we can sing the Lord's song here in Babylon. 
We can sing the Lord's song as we worship as Christians. We can sing the Lord's song as we worship in union with what's going on in the heavenly places. As we join with the worship in the heavens, we share in the unfolding of history according to the purposes of God. We're part of that even as we gather. We can sing the Lord's song. And so let's join with the throng in the heavens. And let's join with every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, give us boldness in our worship. Guide our worship. Lead us as we surrender our lives fully and freely to you. Through Jesus Christ and all he's done in the cross and the empty tomb. In the power of your Holy Spirit. According to your holy word. Enliven our songs now as we go to you. And we sing our worship to you yet again. And angels, we invite you to join us. Heavenly hosts, we pray that you would join us and reveal yourself to us here. So we might see a glimpse, even if ever so small, of what John saw. And we might understand what he understood. We love you and praise you. Thank you for giving us the ability to sing your song in Babylon. Through Jesus Christ. Amen.
the Lord. 